welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of The Fanatic, PW's new twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can check us out on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Simmons, I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes. And on social media, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And also, don't forget, please let us know how you like our podcast. Feel free to go into, well, there won't be an iTunes, but uh, go into Apple's podcast <laughs> app <right. laughs> and uh, give us a rating. Let us know what you think. Drop yeah, us yeah. a line. Um, send us a smoke signal. Just let us know. Yeah, We'd yeah. love to get feedback from our listeners. All right. Anyway, this week on More to Come, Book Expo 2019, graphic novels for everyone. Wither Vertigo, yeah, Luna versus Image Comics. Okay. Book Expo 2019. Yeah. <laughs> How was it, Calvin? We were there. Look, uh, you know, as an old head for Book Expo, look, it was just fine. Um, uh, I, it seemed to garner uh, mixed to positive reviews from exhibitors. For someone like myself that started going to the Book Expo in the late 1980s, um, uh, it's, it's a strange and diminished uh, event. That said, this is the new normal. Uh, it's the, what we see is what it can support. Uh, Wednesday, I thought the, the, the floor was fairly thin. Uh, it looked much better on Thursday and Friday was more like Wednesday. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, trade shows are a dying breed. I mean, a lot of yeah. people who make money off of trade shows are very invested in keeping trade shows going. But, you know, I heard one person, uh, tell me that they went up to some book uh, you know, publisher booth and said, Oh, what are your big books for the fall? And they said, Why don't you go look on Edelweiss? So, and you know, so Edelweiss, <laughs> I mean, by the way, is the big online database yes. where all the books and that's are. That's a key and, point, I yes, think. Yes. yes. And you can go on to Edelweiss and find all the books. But why would a publisher say that? <laughs> well, that was dumb. I agree that, with that, that also. That was not a good thing to yeah. say. But I think what, what you've hit on here is that the reasons why Book Expo, uh, which many years, years ago used to be called AVA or the American Booksellers Association Convention, it was created for a, a, a certain need and to, to deliver certain services that is that are no longer required. Yeah, because everybody's got a website now, as well they should, and can be contacted by email. And you don't need to just, like, walk around physically accumulating physical catalogs from people exactly. to know what's coming up. Or taking orders. I mean, that's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, that too. I mean, you could, you know, retailers, the whole idea of the show was to bring retailers together Face to face with publishers, and the publishers would give you. You could get exhibition deals. You could get. You could. That's get, right. You, you know, would. You, you people used to discount. place orders at the a- show. Absolutely. They used to sit down and do business at the show and order absolutely. books. Absolutely. And you could really, if you're a bookseller, you could really help your margins if you got the show specials that were going on, and publishers were there, and there were thousands of right. book sales. And I guess it would also help publishers because it would be the equivalent of pre-sales. You'd know the demand was there or it wasn't there. Partly based on that, yeah, and you would also you get an you get an opportunity, and and, and it still serves this function now in a in a new way. 
you get enough to preview what's coming out in the fall to talk about the book. So let let them know what's the big right. book. Well, listen, I'm I'm really big on face to face, and I think that having the people in the industry come together face to face is always valuable. And it I is. think a lot of yes. people who have defended Book Expo have used that as their number one defense, and and it's absolutely correct. And um, you know, I I mean, I agree. There's there's a good reason for people to come together. I mean, it was just yes. the right format for it. I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, the other thing that used to be, you know, super hot at Book Expo and still is, is getting, um, autographed books. I mean, in yeah. giveaways. I mean, they do, did have a pretty spectacular lineup of authors, um, and, you know, a couple celebrities, uh, Lupita Nyong'o was there and John Cena. And, um, you know, everything is ticketed now though, which I didn't know. So I didn't get any, <laughs> I didn't get anything, but, um, it's okay. You know, I mean, it's not for me. I'm pretty jaded. So, um, so, you know, it's, it's, yeah. um, well, I mean, I think part of it is that maybe things are still scaled for the way they used to be. If it's not affordable, if it's too big, if it's not working, maybe it's because they're sticking it in the Javits Center in a space designed for more people than they actually get. Well, there was also a franchise show and a hemp show there, so, you know, <laughs> well, there I mean, was plenty going on. Book, Book Expo used to take over almost the whole center, but it, that's those days are gone Remember, forever. it used to be, the whole downstairs used to be just kids' books. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or for a while, it was like just meeting rooms, which are now all on the main floor. Right. Yeah. They, they would put all the meeting rooms downstairs, or all the kids' books, like, as you were saying. Yeah. Um, but even so, there has to be some way to control Cost because apparently people are being charged a hundred thousand dollars to exp- to you know exhibit at something where maybe you're not going to make a hundred thousand dollars worth of profit. So you have plenty of events out there that don't charge that much. There's got to be some way to make that happen for Book Expo. Well, right coming on the heels of Book Expo, as has been custom for the last five or six years, was BookCon. Yeah. And, um, you know, a very, different, very show. different show, but very well attended. Yeah. Same and, exhibitors? And, um, yes, in order Up to, to if you point. wanted to exhibit at BookCon, you have to go to Book Expo. So some people scarpered after Book Expo, but a lot of people stayed for BookCon. Now, you know, one company that had a booth that they had not had for quite a long time was DC Comics, which we'll come yes. back to in just a moment. And, uh, it was very funny. Um, to see like big wigs at DC Comics, um, working the cash register and selling books as they were selling books very briskly at the booth. I mean, people were just flocking to the booth and buying things. And at BookCon, you know, you're allowed to sell things. In fact, (laughs) that's what people do. I mean, there were complaints that there were not enough giveaways at BookCon, you know, like where are the arcs of yesterday? Where are the blads? You know, where are the blads of yesteryear? But um it was very funny also that it is overwhelmingly female. However, at yes. one point at the Scholastic booth, uh they had a dog man, a yes, guy in a dog mind character, a guy or a person in a dog man character, which is, of course Dave Pilkey's yes. immensely popular star of his own series of graphic novels. And I do think every boy in the entire Javits Center was gathered there in the line. Yeah. Uh it was like 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 I, I wouldn't say it was all boy, but it was probably about two thirds, um, boy. And, and, um, you know, finally there are books for boys at BookCon. So that's really great. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that, that series is so popular. It's hard to even, <laughs> it's hard to even imagine. I mean, the, the book expo that we're seeing now has been rejiggered numerous times to try and cut costs. The, the fact that it's even in New York City is 
part of the reason why it, to cut costs because uh, nobody wants to travel for it. People don't want to travel to it. Uh, that that really increases costs, and it also uh, uh, decreases actually the amount of your employees for New York trade houses. Yeah, and let's be, let's uh, be for real. Uh, Book Expo is a creature of the big five. Yeah, mm-hmm. they dictate what will happen to it. They want it in New York, and so that's where where it is. But that saves money for them. It allows them to have more involvement in it, actually, uh, at the same time. Well, all else fails. They can always rent the Marriott Marquis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there you go. Yeah. Hey, it worked um, for the yeah. RWA. Sure, right. sure, but, sure. But uh, there but, was, Calvin, um, mm-hmm. a huge presence, as your story mentioned, for graphic novels. Just oh. everywhere. They uh, were everywhere. That was, you know, really the sub... I, I let off the... Um, uh, the introduction there with what I called it. I mean, graphic novels for everyone. And I mean, if there, it's for myself, that was the takeaway, uh, the institution, the, the, the really, the, uh, the institutionalization of the category in the book trade, uh, from the author breakfasts, which are the glamour, uh, events, uh, book expo with Marjorie Lou on a panel with, with, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates. You know, and Rachel Maddow. Oh, I know. That was like you incredible. Know, that was yeah, a hot that ticket. That was huge. Um, you know. And Malcolm through, Gladwell. And, and Malcolm Gladwell as well. As well. What a combo. Uh, um, yeah. And who's the Kara Slaughter, the, the, the novelist. But on through, um, really the panels, um, uh, there were various panels. Well, there were panels throughout. I mean, superstar, uh, comics artists like Raina Telgemeier and Dave Pilkey. And Raina was on multiple panels and mm-hmm. events. Both in Book Expo and in Book Con. And, you know, the guess the Galley of Guts was a hot, hot one. Um, but yes. you know, yeah. uh, Faith Aaron Hicks was there with, yes. um, oh, Rainbow Rowell. Rainbow Rowell, because yes. they were doing a graphic novel together. Um, God, if, who, oh, if, Frank Miller was there yes, for some yes. thing if, that if he's I'm, doing, which I wasn't quite if, sure of what it is, but he was, he was at both Book Con <laughs> and Book Expo. He's an illustrated novel, isn't yes, he? Yes, it's an illustrated novel that's being turned into a Netflix show yeah. about a female King Arthur. So, yeah. okay. Um, I'm up for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as he uh, stays away from prostitutes this time. Yes. <laughs> There's that. Um, if I may hype my own panel, which I thought went really well. I had a great lineup. Uh, the great Chris Ware uh, wow. was on talking about his new book, Rusty Brown. Um, uh, 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 Melanie Gilman, they were there. I only mangled her pronouns twice. Uh, no, you just did it, Kelvin. Oh, I'm, I just mangled their pronoun twice. If you don't count all the other times I mangled it, um, they were very understanding uh, about it, uh, and I apologized uh, and plowed ahead uh, with the correct uh, pronoun. John Muth has a delightful book, uh, an adaptation of the Stanislaw Lim short story, The Seventh, uh, the seventh Voyage, um, a, um, a, a, a delightful work in time travel and logic. Uh, and Jen Wang, of course, back again with another really delightful book, uh, Stargazing. So, I mean, uh. Stargazing? Is it about you and Meg <laughs> talking about know, good graphic novels? Maybe there's a copyright infringement issue somewhere, <laughs> but we will defer to Jen Wang. Uh, maybe she's got a stronger message. Yeah. Well, um, you know, there was also a few graphic novels on display uh so you know disclaimer these are published by lion forge which also through syndicate yes. comics owns the beat but i was very impressed by the response to the graphic novels that lion forge i mean i will say the diamond aisle is a bit um a bit smaller uh, it, it yeah. shrinks a little bit every year but they had lion forge there they had image there they had dynamite but mm-hmm. uh, anyway lion forge had a couple really good books 
um, Hazel New Living. kind of a magnet for all the yeah. comics people. Oh, yeah, I know. You just stand there. <laughs> Everybody like a ends cocktail up there party. in the diamond, animal, yeah. whether they've got a exhibiting or not. Anyway, Hazel New Living Snow Ivy League, um, you know, Wendy Shoes, uh, Mooncakes. And then yeah. I think really a book that is really going to take off is uh, Maya Kobabe's yes. uh, Gender Queer. And, uh, it really, you know, talk about pronouns. Uh, Maya uses A, M, and R pronouns. But you know what? After reading this book, you'll be have a lot easier time with that because uh, A really explain their whole journey. Yes. Uh, to how they got to where they're, uh, to where they are. So anyway, and, and the art is beautiful. Yes. So, oh, and it you really ha- is. Yes. Yeah. And you have an interview with yes, Maya. Yes, actually, um, uh, I have interviews with, uh, Maya Kobe. Uh, and also with the, the creative duo, the duo, uh, around Mooncakes, uh, Wendy Shu and, uh, Suzanne Wal- uh, Walker. Um, so we've got interviews with both, uh, of them. And I should also mention, uh, Wendy had a big week because she, oh, yes. also, uh, they also, Wendy's big week. Uh, they also, uh, signed a three book deal, I believe, with Harper Children solo, um, uh, for three graphic novels. Mm-hmm. So, uh, she's yep. on the move. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. So, um, and I mean, we can go on, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the DC imprints were, uh, on the floor and I was there on, on Saturday and they were mobbed and selling mm-hmm. books hand over fist. George Teke. Oh, was, wow. Uh, yeah. Huge, charming everyone, uh, about his book, um, this memoir, uh, they called his enemy about his family, his Japanese American family being interned. In, uh, and him, he too. And him, him, yes, and him. him. He him and his well. family, uh, interned in an American concentration, uh, camp. Um, it just goes on and on and on. There was, uh, there really just plenty of graphic novels, uh, obviously just, in great, yeah. middle grade. And, and I mean, and it, it was, it was, you know, as the, as the publishing base gets younger and younger, I mean, there really is just like, it's just a kind of book now. So, uh, and that, that part was really wonderful to see. So, yeah. Uh, actually, and I'd like to mention, uh, one other publisher, and we've talked a little bit about this publisher, uh, uh, uh as well. Uh, and they were, uh, were walking the floor, and that's a wave blue world. Uh-huh. I had a chance to sit down with, uh, with Joe and with Lisa Wu, who's doing the marketing for them, the Joe Illich, mm-hmm. who's the, the new editorial director there. And, well, they, they, uh, I got a chance to see some of their books, and they've got an interesting business model that they're putting forth. That's going to combine book trade uh, works as well as periodicals. They're going to they're going to do their works in five issue miniseries. The first issue will be print, uh, and it'll be full of all kinds of editorial extras as well. The next four issues will be digital. <laughs> okay, uh, and they're going to go that way, and then immediately collect the whole thing into a trade paperback. Right. And, you know, it's obviously an unusual model, but... It's uh, a very unusual but, model. Well, but you know, I think it's an interesting You know, Calvin, you're, you're going to have, you know, not to begin our endless coverage of San Diego Comic-Con, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, you have a lot more time to, to quiz them about that and uh, various yes. other unusual publishing models because at San Diego you are doing a panel yes. on new publishers. And, and New publishing models. And yes. we got a new one just last week with Ted Adams. Yes, Ted Adams and his new Clo- Clover Press. Uh, they want to be a part of it. Um, but uh, what is you talked to Ted, right? Yes, what's I the deal? To, uh, Clover Press is uh, well. This is the publishing project that he promised us when he stepped down as CEO of IDW. You know, last year uh, he said he's going to come back in a new role, and this is it. He uh, IDW is an an investor in this. 
They have no editorial control of any kind, and there is no shared uh, infrastructure or overhead of any kind. Uh, they are strictly an investor. Um, it is a boutique publishing house, as he put it. Uh, they intend to do a variety of things uh, to do some Kickstarter-funded projects. Um, there's going to be prose, genre fiction, as well as graphic novels. So um, we'll have to wait and see. I'm but ne- they expect to release some books, well, I think, this er- year. Well, everyone, no matter what kind of storm clouds might be on the horizon, as we'll get to, everybody wants to be in on this. Um, you know, a very interesting panel that I attended was a presentation by Kristen McLean of BookScan yes, about yeah. uh, trends in, in children's publishing. And uh, she had a couple charts. But, you know, she, she mentioned something that a lot of people are talking about right now, that manga has really re, re, had a resurgence. Yeah. And there was an article, yes. Kate, there, there was an article about manga sales this week, Indeed right? Indeed there was. And what was the gist of it? Well, the gist of it is that manga sales are up in the United States both in dollars and market share, I guess. Yes, market share, mm-hmm. yes. And they, that's due to the streaming, correct? That's the speculation, yes. Um, I think something that has been hurting manga for a long time in the United States is a lack of accessibility to anime for casual viewers. Mm-hmm. You know, for people who maybe don't want to buy, who want to be able to watch on impulse uh, you know, having so much of it available on streaming, I think, is really, really helping the manga market, especially because a lot of books that had second or third tier anime, things that were on at like midnight in Japan mm. or 2 a.m. if you were really unlucky, suddenly they're just as easy to get in the United States as the hits. And, you know, it really helps niche books and anime find their market here. Mm. As it did in the earlier mm-hmm. uh, right. it really, the manga boom. It is um, a lot like their, the olden days. Well, yeah, it, would, it's like the olden days, but better. Because in the yeah. old days, it was just what they could pack into the hours of Adult Swim on yeah, television. You're right. But now, you have limitless hours on streaming platforms. And, and I, I should, think it's better than the olden days with what the manga that's being published now, too, because a lot of it is a lot more diverse. Well, I mean, absolutely. there's just a lot more literary absolutely. manga yeah. and a lot more... And i just also like to put out uh, Deb Elke's uh, manga feature actually published last week. And she makes the same point. Uh, but she's been making the point for a while. I mean, the rebound of manga has been going on for a while, but it's really picking up steam. And one of the reasons why is streaming anime and a way more diverse uh, array yes. of titles, both older manga as well as new manga with all kinds of LGBTQ themes as well. Yeah, and diverse in a lot of different ways. Not just diverse as in... Uh, hitting different minority populations, but diverse is in hitting a wide variety of tastes. Yeah, because I absolutely. think for a long time, um, manga publishers in Japan were very picky about what they licensed to the United States. They sent what they thought appealed to the mainstream of America. But the fact remains that the United States, just like Japan, has a wide variety of reading tastes. Yeah. And now, you know, Everyone can find the manga for them. Yeah, yes, absolutely. absolutely. So that was, and, and we're also on the cusp of a new era of original manga. I mean, Viz is mm-hmm. launched Viz Originals, mm-hmm. uh, Viz and Originals. they're making an, uh, an appeal to artists, to North American artists who who have grown up in a with a manga style as their primary way of looking at the world. Uh, to come to them with their projects. So I think that's another a- aspect that's really energizing the market. Yeah. So and you know all of that like. uh you know, for like I, I kept telling people, it's like in a world where you know Dave Pilkey's books are selling you know six hundred thousand copies on BookScan alone, and that does not count uh, book sales at 
you know, scholastic book fairs, book fairs or libraries <laughs> or a lot of other markets and, um, you know, so a minimum, a minimum of 600,000 copies. Um, yeah. everybody's going to imitate that and we are fine. And you know, the number one book for middle grade readers last year was the new Wimpy Kid book. And I know that's not comics, but it's comics adjacent. Yes. And there's so many uh, imitations of it now with these kind of illustrated, yeah. heavily illustrated, you know, confessional books yeah. for middle grade readers. So, you know, it's good. It's the best of times in that way, I, I do believe. Just- um, well, these are all the wonderful things that are happening, but there's, Grim tidings elsewhere. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, uh, there's always something to talk about in this business. Yes. And uh, by that we mean we're going to talk about Vertigo. Yes. With yes. this iconic uh, and really seminal uh, publishing imprint in as a, as a an introduction to the world we live in now. So we don't really know, though. Yeah, I mean, know. there was a rumor reported yes. that Vertigo was getting shut down. Now, Calvin, did you were you able to find out any more about? I uh, I got a no comment uh, from uh, DC on uh, when I asked the question, uh, so I don't. I didn't get anything from the source. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've all been speculating and chattering about this and. You know, Vertigo has been going through a lot of ups and downs, and your article obviously really details it. Well, I listen. I wrote a piece for the beat um, about this, but I did not hear directly from the source. But I I talked to a couple of pretty informed Mm -hmm. people, and um, I think what I've really been hearing is that all of the turmoil at DC that we've been talking about since the start of the year really is not over. Um, you know, things that happened were, um, uh, you know, three vice presidents were laid off in January. There was a wholesale reorganization of the whole company in, and, uh, layoffs, including three vice presidents, uh, including John Cunningham, who ran the whole book trade and direct sales market. Yeah. And, um, so since then there's, you know, they've cut back on their line, uh, you know, there's a lot more integration with Warner Brothers functions. And so what, what I'm hearing is that this is not over. And, you know, Vertigo, I, I, as I said in my article, I'm not going to give my in memoriam for Vertigo, where yeah. I did work, by the way, I used to work there, so. Incidentally, um, I was an intern there, but at a different time that Heidi worked right. there. That's right. I know. That, now, that would have been a team supreme. Me and Kate had both been a vertigo at the same time. So, yes. Yeah, so that we, would have been a very and, interesting time. And Calvin is a reader. So we all have very yes. intimate, like, you know, thoughts about vertigo. So I'm not going to do my in memoriam until we know what's going on. Because I'm not convinced from talking to very knowledgeable people that it was like, oh, that's it. Shut down vertigo. No more. Yeah. I don't I, think that's what happened. Something may happen. But, but Vertigo has been going through, um, I mean, since Karen Berger left, I mean, it has been going through, uh, you know, a roller coaster of, yes. of yeah. trying to reorient itself in a new world. I mean, I. They don't really talk- have any flagships. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess they tried to bring, you know, Sandman back this year. I mean, and you know what? The sales on that yeah. were not so yeah. hot. Yeah. Uh, well, but I mean, I've I talked with some of the, the market. I mean, Brian K. Vaughn mm-hmm. uh, had very pointed things to say about. Leaving Vertigo, uh, and, uh, and, and it was basically around the terms of the contract. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, um, it, it, now, they've obviously tried to reboot it in various ways. I also agree. I, I, I find it hard to believe that this, um, imprint would go away. Um, 
but they're they obviously are charting. But the, yeah, I think a new there's a lot. Go- Listen, there's a lot going on at DC, and I mean, one of the things that I pointed out in my article is that when we ran at the beat, when Brian Hibbs ran his book scan analysis, he showed that. DC's trade sales last year plummeted. Yeah. And so one of the problems for them is that their new, the, you know, the, the rebirth trades have been a big flop. And he, he actually pointed out that more people buy the new 52 trades from like five or six years ago, actually even longer than that, than buy the rebirth trades of similar characters like, you know, Harley Quinn. So that's wrong. Um, And, you know, that's why they launched – but that's why, you know, they're spending a half a million dollars to market Zoom and Inc., their new kids' lines, their new, um, you know, middle grade and YA lines. And that's a lot of money. That's significant. And, you know, now they have Black Label, which is their own kind of, you know – which is a line of of graphic novels that was started – to give them the new Watchmen, to give them new backlist. And it's basically an adult line. Yeah. It is adult, but but it's become less adult since they had Batman's Todger. Uh, but it seems to have caused a backlash at the highest levels that I think is causing them some problems. Yes, and it does seem like there's just a corporate... Uh, well, you know, today there was some other huge news. Did you hear that they canceled the Swamp Thing show from DC, I the streaming platform, after just one episode aired? Okay, now it, it was total S-H-I-T-E, shite. But um, then came rumors. Now, I didn't have time to investigate these rumors, but now apparently they are rethinking the entire DC online. Was some era in accounting or something? That's what I had so Well, no, okay. So Swamp Thing is being filmed in North Carolina because mm. they were going to get a big tax rebate, but apparently the tax law changed or something. Where mm. the, I, like, I actually haven't had time to investigate yeah, this story but today, but the bottom line around. is Swamp Thing's getting canceled and DC Universe is is being rethought. And mm. because Warner Brothers is launching their own streaming well, platform. Well, we all anticipated that. that. <laughs> like, this is what you would call a foreseeable circumstance, people. Yeah. I mean. I mean, nobody could quite understand, like, what's going to happen to this platform when this other platform. Right. Well, I mean, I, I could see how it could work. They could do, like, the, <laughs> okay. okay. They could do the Crunchyroll and Verve thing it, where, like, if you pay a few dollars less, you just get DC Universe. If you pay a few dollars more, you get the full streaming service. Boom. Yeah. They could do that. And so this could just be like a little corner of it where if all you want is DC Universe, that's all you get. And if you want, you know, but it's only a few dollars more for the Warner Brothers thing. I mean, like that, they could do that. But, you know, you you have to do it that way instead of just sort of go, well, I don't know, what am I doing now? Yeah. Yeah. So, listen, the bottom line is that all of Warner Brothers is in turmoil after with the AT&T uh, acquisition. And DC is obviously in just as much turmoil as anywhere, you know. And Vertigo, uh, well, you know, it's kind of hard to live up to the fabled, you yeah. know, greatness of the, the, you know, the greatest generation of Vertigo. But I think this latest reboot was just plagued by problems, you know. Yeah. They had one with the writers turned out to be, you know, yeah, sexual misconduct. Um, another one was canceled before it even came out because it had a religious theme that they kind of chickened out on that. I have to be yeah, honest. Yeah, that was, again, a foreseeable circumstance. And <laughs> also, I mean, Vertigo may be a victim of its own success. Yes. Vertigo had a very specific flavor of comics that was not known before its time. That's true. And yep. that then, but it is a flavor that was palatable to a bunch of other publishers that sprang up after it. You know, a Vertigo book could become an image book. A Vertigo book could become a Dark Horse book. A Vertigo book could be marketable to a whole bunch of other a places. Vertigo, 
where it could become author of. A Vertigo book can be a vault book or a black mask book. Absolutely. I mean, I have to say, I think both of those imprints um, do books that yeah. are actually more, you know, like yeah. they market being, quote, edgy or speculative sure. a little better than Vertigo does. I now. mean, in many ways, now. what, what uh, Vertigo was, was this introduction into the comics market of really thoughtful genre fiction. Uh, that wasn't specifically superhero driven, uh, paranormal at times. Um, it really was a great introduction into the world that we see now because Karen had, Karen Berger had the vision to bring together kind of really unique talents at a great time. Yeah. And you know, look, I'm going to be just a little cat cade. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, but I think what we are dropping the ball on here is why would they go to these other places other than Vertigo? Why? And the answer is, Money. Well, and a, control. Well, there's a couple of different reasons, okay? In the case of, uh, you know, Brian K. Vaughn, I mean, a lot of people went to Image because Vertigo's contract became very onerous, okay? But I think the reason people yes. go to Vault or Black Mask is, or even Boom, you know, mm-hmm. is because they're more open to beginning creators who have a lot yeah. fresher take on things. I yeah. gotta be honest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, whereas Vertigo used to be. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, frankly, they're missing the whole, like, you shall not muzzle an ox. Tra- treading out the grain thing, <laughs> like, like if you if you don't feed the creators and they can sell it somewhere else no. for better deals and more control well, you, and more future revenues, like especially with all these deals going through and comics being a hot commodity. And again, Vertigo, a victim of its own success, having created a whole genre. Well, you know, Vertigo uh, always has celebrity creators. You know, they did a couple books with Anthony Bourdain mm-hmm. that yeah. were actually pretty good. They yeah. were. And, and, you know, one of the books, and a couple of the books in their latest relaunch were by people who aren't known for comics writing. You know, one was by Zoe Quinn. And, uh, you know, she's very well known as a gamer writer. You know what? She's not a comics writer. And, you know, the other one was also by a non-comics writer. And you know what? Sometimes those books aren't as strong as books that are by really veteran comics writers. Yes. But, you know, some of the parts of it, I thought the Young Animal um, uh, effort at Vertigo actually was really interesting. Well, that's funny you say that. Because, you know, what I was about to get at is... And I, I want to try to say this in a way that isn't mean. Um, okay. So I'll just, so let me try. But you know, Karen Berger's come back with Burger Books at Dark Horse. Right. Shelly Bond has come back with Black Crown at IDW. Yep, and yeah. you know, they're both doing books that are very Karen-esque and yeah, very Shelly-esque. And I think when you look at how those books, how the marketplace responds to those books and how readership responds to those books, I mean, they certainly have readers and, mm. you know, admirers and they have really great lineups of talent also. But I think when you see them, um, I think there is a little bit of, you know, ho-hum, this is the same brilliance we've seen for a long time. You know, like, oh, another solid book. But, um, you know, they're not setting the, the industry on fire. I mean, I'll but just But on the other hand, no one's promoting them. Oh, well, they no, got not a lot of promotion at the I launch. Mean, at the launch. The other thing also that we have to grapple with, what Karen did at Vertigo is happening all over. Yes. This, you know, That's first correct. of all, Karen's not doing it at Vertigo yes. anymore. She's yes. doing it somewhere else. Yes. But this is just as you were saying about mentioning all these other companies. We're also in the midst of an explosion of talent, yes. in my view. Yes. There are just an enormous number of, of talents out there developing their, uh, their skills on the web, on web comics, whatever. I've never seen a time where there's just so many unusual, uh, quirky, eccentric, 
actually mature drawing styles and storytelling galore. So there's just more of it than ever before. And there's also just a generation out there that know that, you know what, if I work really hard at what I do, I can find a way to reach readers in some way. Yes. So, you know, there is more to come from DC. Oh, very much And so. um, if half of the rumors that I've heard are true, we will be talking about them quite a bit more. Uh, possibly even before San Diego. So, Interesting. Uh, so, uh, you know, Heidi, uh, so I'm not going to go out of limb too much, but I will say I Heidi predicts that uh, the next time that we gather, we might have even more news about DC. Yeah, I think that there's uh, I think there's some sort of publishing restructuring going on, and we're going to find out about it. But somewhere in there, Vertical will be included in some way. Well, I mean, listen, I think what I'm hearing is that it's kind of on hiatus, yeah. you know? And mm-hmm. I and you know something? I don't think that's the worst idea in the yeah. world. Mm-hmm. Let these books come out under a different imprint and see if retailers respond more to them. Because I think there was just a malaise. There was a malaise for Vertigo books among mm-hmm. retailers, and that's kind of... You know, give it, let it rest, let it rest, let it rest and maybe have a vision for it. Yes. Yes. So, well, speaking of books that, uh, you know, it's a wonderful time and so many voices and everything. Well, there was one little story this week that was a voice that did not want to be heard (laughs) or did want to be heard and wasn't banned. Well, that, that, that the publisher did decided not to be heard. And so Joshua Luna, who's half of the Luna brothers, Jonathan Luna, and they've done a lot of books at image like sword and, Another thing. So he went on a Twitter, Twitter tirade saying that his book, what's it called? I'm, I don't have um, the story in front of me. Um, oh God, what is it? Oh dear. Just give me a second. Yeah. Okay. I've got it in here. American age, Americanization. Joshua Luna's book is called Americanization. And it's about, it is like he's been running the comics online, but it's really about, um, attitudes towards Asian Americans. Yeah. Uh, he is Filipino. And it's also kind of a journal comic for him. And it's, and it's critical. It's very, yeah, it's yeah, critical sure. of American society yeah. and how, um, white yeah. people treat Asian people. So, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's, Which it's valid. It seem to me like an, yeah. a, a, an unusual topic. So, um, <laughs> or even not, controversial for that. Well, you should see the comments on Heidi's very website. Mm-hmm. Like all these guys, I thought they had some panels from the comic mm-hmm. in the article panels that were, you know, from his website. And, I mean, to me, they didn't strike me as wildly controversial. It's like he was not saying things about all white people everywhere. He was saying that this is you know, things that he had gotten some negative responses from members of white society, which, I mean, surprise, surprise. But people in the comments there were, like, acting like like this was like hate speech against white people. Oh, the, I, you know what? I gotta go in and delete those. I, I reminder, you know. Yeah. I, I I mean, there it's probably the same person posting those yeah, under a couple different names. Yeah, we just have some trolls. But you know, listen, it was sharp. It was pointed criticism. So sure. he went on to say in the Twitter thread that a image partner who uh, had they had kind of just got a dust up about it and. That the the image partner kept telling him different things about it, why they didn't want to publish it, and that it was you know that it was too it was too negative and all this sort of stuff. And then Luna pointed out, well, you know, when Howard Chaikin posted the divided states of hysteria, which got a lot of criticism, image was like, you know what, we will not silence a voice. And I guess that goes for Howard Chaikin, but not for other people. And um, you know, listen, I don't know uh, what went on here. I'm sure we're hearing only one side of the story. And, you know, image is very hard for them to, to, to 
Um, but they didn't handle it very well, they, well on their well, end. Well, apparently. But we only we only know Luna's side of the story. Because I will say this, and I'm not saying this. Like, look, if they didn't want to publish this book, I'm like, yeah, come on, people. Like, this this is a what it, people are interested in now. They really want to investigate social, you know, stereotypes and and interaction and yeah. how and racial inequality. This is the the biggest topic of our times. Yes, it is. But but yeah, but you know, he did say some things like, oh, he got this letter. That um, they were burning the backstock and taking his book off Comixology, and so, he said, and he even he re- recognized that it could just be a coincidence. Well, that's, it could be a coincidence, was, but he wasn't sure. And it was a coincidence because you know, to me, this is the other secret story in this thing mm-hmm. is that this letter actually did go out to a bunch a bunch of creators and uh, saying that they were going to take their books off Comixology. But I've been told that since then that they might not be doing that. So apparently Image, like DC, just had some weird stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, that way. I mean, he was saying, and, and I can believe it, that, um, you know, it was explained to him as like, oh, you sound too angry and there was an audience for this. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think if you really, if you were really Image Comics and you genuinely didn't think that you as Image Comics could sell this for a profit, then what one would think you would say is, hey, I don't think this is really an image book. I think you should take this to a literary publisher. Because I think a literary publisher could really do a great job with this book and it would sell really well. And maybe Image isn't the publisher for this book. That's correct. But you can do it without throwing a fit, yeah. which... Which, which it's really strange because the Luna Brothers had a moment. I mean, mm-hmm. and and in several series, uh, they certainly uh, did critically well um, during a certain period. So I was a little surprised to see that they would turn them down. Yeah, well, listen, uh, again, we're only hearing one side of the story. Yes. Well, but, exactly. I mean, we... And, and publishers turn down books all yes, the time. Yes, they do. Yes. And when we're saying, like, that sounds like, you know, they blew it. I mean, we haven't seen those emails, but... No. Like they haven't, they haven't released any kind of a statement, and you know, like it all is a bad look for oh, them. Yeah. And and you know what? This is what my takeaway from it is: is that everybody kind of assumes that the partner was Eric but, Stevenson. Well, but yes. th- let's see. There, well, let's there is there is an actual quote from okay former English image publisher, but still Eric Larson saying the only partner. uh involved with approving image central books is Eric Stevenson and crying racism and talking to Twitter is a classless move and absolutely unfounded. Well, that's idiotic. Like, like, <laughs> dude, you're just making things worse. Just leave it alone. Uh-huh. What is the point of this tweet? But, but what I was going to say is that a lot of people have been saying to me that this does point up exactly what Eric Larson just said, that all the decision-making for what they publish at Image goes through Eric Stevenson. And Eric, uh, I mean, I love the guy, but he is very bad at communication. And you know what? <laughs> Perhaps, I mean, like he doesn't answer emails and so on. And, you know, maybe it's time to revisit that. But who knows? Yeah, I mean, he could have an assistant or something who could help him with yes. this. And I mean, you know, you know, Eric has been the sole the sole decision maker at Image for, for through their while, greatest yeah. times, yeah. their greatest days. So, yeah. you know, it's not like he's yeah, a... Yeah. And he's had he, big success. Yes, he has. So, well. but, you but know, if you're bad at answering email, maybe you just need someone to help you with yes, that. Yes, exactly. So, you know, um, it's it's a black eye for Image. And, and But the other thing that's odd, I mean, Image just publishes a cr- an incredible number of books. And it's just hard to understand how these... You know, the, the Luna Brothers, who have a really a reputation in mm-hmm. the business, yeah. their book gets turned down. Now, I don't know the circumstances, but, you know, so we're speculating. 
Um, but once again, publishers have the right to turn down books all the time. They do, but you could. You know, this reminds me of a story from Vertigo where, um, well, I guess I can't really name the creator, but a creator, a creator, a really, 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 really popular cult creator, like not someone who does mainstream work, but maybe someone who is very goth, for instance, and, you know, might have had homicidal tendencies, perhaps. And uh it was always like, we've got to get at Vertigo. We've got to get this guy at Vertigo. We've got someday, please, we want, you know, like wooing and, you know, pursuing for years. And finally, he came in and pitched. And then they're like, you know, we don't like this pitch. And, <laughs> and it's like, well, that's what he does, man. Right. So, you <laughs> He's know. He's going to be him no matter who publishes right. him. I thought yeah. that was the right. point. Exactly. And so when they said, oh, you know, we'd like to tinker with this, he's like, see ya. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Anyway, people could like, uh, you know, it's all opinions, isn't it? Well, yeah. he said he was concerned about being blacklisted. And I don't know if that is a thing in the comics industry. I don't have. It is. Well, it is. I mean, if you go on Twitter and, you know, trash people, they're not going to be happy about it. Well, I mean, not the people you trash. Yeah, but. that's what I mean. And um, so I don't know. But um, it, the odd part about it is I think in that same quote you have yeah. uh, from Larson. He says as much, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Oh, if you go on Twitter, you know, you you watch, you know, you can't blame it if you get, you know, uh, banished. But <laughs> at the same time, it could very well be that Luna had enough of a blowout with Stevenson that probably going on Twitter wouldn't have done any more harm than whatever was said in person. You know, listen, uh, I'm, uh. I, there's something bad about, you know, I mean, Imogen apparently did something wrong. Uh, like I said, I haven't read, yeah. I haven't read the emails. We don't know. We don't yeah. know. We don't yeah, know. No, and I'm not saying that no, we don't know. anyone's fault. I just meant, you know, yeah. sometimes we're, we're artists here, and yeah. editors have very specific artistic visions mm-hmm. and can get emotional, mm-hmm. especially if they're not good communicators when communicating these visions to each other. And it's not unheard of in our industry absolutely. for people to have verbal knockdown drag outs about these respective uh, visions. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, that doesn't require anyone to be a villain. Each party has to decide whether they want to take these knockdown drag outs public. Yes. Right. And, but um, sometimes and Luna feeling, decided to go public with it. Right. But sometimes if feelings are hurt enough, going to Twitter really isn't going to change things one way or the other. Yeah. Well, they already hate your guts. They already hate your guts. Yeah. I, I mean, the reason why I keep stressing that we don't know both sides of the story is because we don't. I'm not saying any, right. And I'm right. not saying anyone's the villain. I'm no. just saying no, 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 that no. like, yeah, it yeah. sounds like tempers were riled. Right. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. You're, you're hundred percent correct. And I, I, you know, I agree. Something weird happened that is very unfortunate. And uh, I think Image should have published that book. So it looked really cool from the stuff I it saw. Sure did. Well, yeah. maybe someone else will pick it up. And it yeah. seems like this, you know, it's aimed really at a market that maybe the book isn't aimed at, you know, publishers. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's aimed at a, at a, at a really booming market uh, of, you know, people uh, of a variety of ethnic backgrounds who really receive those kinds of stories really well. Yeah. Well, you know, you know because are, they feel like they've lived through those stories. Well, you know, there are a lot of publishers who are doing a good job of publishing such stories. Yeah. And maybe it'll get a- picked absolutely. up by one of them. A- a- well, you know, speaking of which, Calvin has some interviews. Yes. With some of those very cartoonists. And, who, and yes, in many ways aimed just at the market that we're talking yes. about here. And uh, we talked about it a little bit, but um, uh, Micah Babe, but uh, their book, uh, uh, Gender Queer, 
uh, really is quite good. Um, uh, delightful drawings. And of course, the creative team of, uh, Wendy Shu and Dan Walker, uh, and Mooncakes. It's coming out and uh, we talk with, uh, them as well. Three, two, one. Welcome to More to Come. PW's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Well, we're back on the floor of Book Expo 2019, uh, the book industry's annual uh, convention. And I'm here with Maya Kobabe, uh, a, who, uh, uh, who is both a graphic novel artist and occasionally does some writing for Publishers Weekly. Uh, Maya, thank you so much for being on More to Come. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Well, uh, I, well, first, I do want to uh, mention uh, your pronouns. Yes. And you want to talk about that very yeah, quickly? Yeah, definitely. So In I, a book about gender? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's very appropriate. Yeah. It's uh, related to content. I use the pronouns E, M, air, which are used grammatically the same as they, them, there, with a TH knocked off. Um, this is a pronoun set called Spivik, and it's got a cute little history on wikipedia.com if you want to look it up. And I will. I will. Yeah. Um, but tell us about uh, Gender Queer, and it's a memoir. Uh, it is. Published by Lion Forge. It's already out May, the end of, the, end of yes. May it was published. Um, yeah, so the comic bookstore release date was May 15. The mm-hmm. normal bookstore release date was May 28. And the initial print run is already sold out, which is all right. very exciting. All right. Um, so, yeah, this is a memoir. It's all about my life. It specifically focuses on memories dealing with gender identity, sexuality, and coming out um, to uh, friends, family, and then eventually mm. coming out at work. Um, and just sort of all the parts of my life that are related to that. So definitely a, a focused memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us some high points. I mean, I mean, this is always obviously an issue. We, we, we seem to be in a time right now where actually there is seems to be a, a really outpouring of literature about uh, gender identity. Yes. Uh, as you know, we go through the social changes that are needed, necessary to make everybody inclusive. I mean, are there? Uh, can you tell our listeners something about uh, maybe a key moment in your own life that you would want to that they can find in the book? Yeah, definitely. So um, I grew up in California for a little context in a very liberal part of this country mm-hmm. with really like accepting family, and I actually already had out queer family members before I was even born. Mm-hmm. So for me, coming out in high school as bi was really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a moment in the book where I tell my mom, "Hey, mom, I think maybe I'm bisexual," and my mom's response was. I always thought you could go either way, which is like, uh, yes, accurate. <laughs> um, but it took me another 10 years after that to eventually start really coming about, coming out about and interrogating gender. Because gender is, is a, I think, a more complex subject. And there was so much, so much less literature and so many fewer role models when I was a teen. Mm-hmm. Um, so though I saw, like, I had yeah, a gay uncle and I had a lesbian aunt, mm-hmm. I didn't know a transgender person who was out until I was in grad school. Okay. I was like, you know, in my t- mid-20s. Mm-hmm. So it really, um, it's so hard to, be what you can't see, which is, I know, a yeah. thing that people talk about mm-hmm. really a lot. But it's it's really true. It's hard to come up with something that's just you, that you've never even had a, a single hint or visualization for. Mm-hmm. So, 
Um, that's a lot of why I wrote this, honestly, is, is hoping that people can use this as their own roadmap for their own future. Mm -hmm. um, when did you start the book? And, uh, and, and really, since I have not read it, I'm admitting here, uh, I'm, I'm just curious to hear about the various you know, social situations that you navigate and personal situations. Yeah. So the book started initially actually as a webcomic that I was running on Instagram. Oh, and um, listeners can actually go on my Instagram, which is at Red Bull Sparks, and read over a hundred little journal comics that uh. I posted starting in mid-2016. Um, and that was when I first started thinking about a pronoun switch and first started coming out um, to my extended family. Um, and so the, I was not thinking book when I first started it. Mm -hmm. I was honestly, it came out of a place of, um, I was having all these conversations about gender, you know, parents, um, aunts, uncles, and people were saying, you know, we love you, we want to support you, but we just don't really know what you're talking about. And yeah. so I was like, you know what, I'm trained in comics, I have a master's degree in comics, this is my yeah. media, this is the way I feel most eloquent and able to express myself, so I will make comics about gender. And the response was immediate and mm. amazing. Um, people just would reach out to me in ways that they had never done so before about my previous fiction work. Um, and I think after about a year of doing this, I realized oh, there might, I think this is a, I think there's a book in this. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, I showed the mini comics to Andrea Colvin, who was um, yes. a head editor at uh, Lionforge at the time. Mm -hmm. And she loved them and she shepherded me through the um, submission process yes. and became my editor on the book and was just an amazing mentor mm -hmm. to me. Um, yeah, and here's the book now sitting yeah. in front of us. Yeah, so, so can you give us some uh, background on, you know, you, you, yourself as a comics, uh, comics artist? Yeah. Um, when did you start? And you say you got a, a master's. I did. So yeah. I, I, my first ever favorite activity was drawing. And then my second ever favorite activity was reading. Okay. And so it's very much like, how do I combine these two <laughs> things that I love to do? Um, but I, my undergrad degree is in illustration, and I was really focused on children's books, actually, for oh. a lot of years. Where'd you go? Where? Um, I went to a really small liberalized college that no one has heard of. Um, but then okay. I, then I started going to like Zine Fest, and yeah. there was a really great show called Alternative Press Expo that used to be in San Francisco. Sure. Alas, yeah. RIP, no sure. longer. Yeah. Um, but it was a great show, and that's where I actually met a couple of teachers from CCA. And I was like, oh, wow, this is so interesting and exciting. And they were making really, producing really great work. Ed Luce was one of my teachers. Uh -huh. um, Justin Hall, Mari uh -huh. Naomi, um, oh, cool. really mm -hmm. great people who do lovely yes. work. Um, yes. And so then I ended up applying to the CCA MFA in Comics Master's Program. And I'd already been, like, sort of self-publishing and dabbling in webcomics, but that's what really, where I learned, like, the nuts and bolts of comics. Uh -huh. So... So, what have you been doing here at Book Expo around the book? Oh, it's been so fun. Um, I've been doing a signing every day right. and uh, just meeting people. Um, it's been a lot of librarians, which is oh, so great. And well, I can't wait to have this be in libraries. For sure. Um, people have been just so enthusiastic. And then I really want to shout out the marketing department at Lion Forge because every time I've been in like a line for something and people are like, oh, what are you here for? And I mentioned the book. Every single person has said, oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. And I don't think they're lying. I think they're no. <laughs> no, yeah. absolutely. Okay. I haven't read it, but believe me, I know all about yeah, this book. It's, um, they've been doing <laughs> such a great job with, um, like, just advertising it mm. in like the in really booky places, mm. places where retailers and, and yes. stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think we're having a moment, and by a moment, I don't mean uh, that this is going to end or go away. Uh, I think it's a moment when there's so many. So many authors, uh, so many, there's a, a, a community of readers just looking for books from this community, yes. as well as many other communities that have been overlooked for so many years. Yeah. Uh, we're in a moment now where you can 
you can make it, uh, you can connect with readers through an established publisher or other ways. And it seems like you've done it in both ways. Yes, and I am so glad to have, I feel like I have riches. I mean, there's so much <laughs> to read. And yeah, I, I still go to tons of Zine Fest and buy a lot mm. of like indie self-published stuff that I adore. And then, but now there's like really big name stuff, like a memoir that came out really recently was Jacob Tobias' Sissy, A Coming mm. of Gender mm. Story, which is a prose yeah. memoir. Um, and it came out about a month before mine, and I was just like, yes, let's just yeah, yeah. take... Because um, Jacob Tobias is also um, non-binary and uses they, them pronouns. And I was just like, let us take over the bookstore shelves. So. <laughs> well, I think you are, and it's a good thing, and it's about time. So yeah, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> so, look, it's a pleasure talking to you. Good luck on your book, Gender Queer, a memoir. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maya uh, Lion Forge Press is out now. They sold mm-hmm. out the first printing. That's that just means they're going back to press. Yeah, no, it's they've already ordered more. So yes, don't worry, all right. You'll, it's so going to be available. You'll be getting one soon. Mm-hmm. So look, thank you so much for yeah. being on More to Come. Yay, it's thank a pleasure you. to talk to you. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly and editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Well, we're on the floor of the Javits Center at Book Expo 2019. Uh, this is the, the annual convention um, around book publishing in the U.S. Uh, but I'm here to talk about uh, one of the, really one of the biggest categories in book uh, publishing these days, uh, and that's graphic novels. Uh, and I'm here with Wendy Xu and Suzanne Walker. Did I say that right? Yes. I did? Good. I made, uh, I, 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 I mangled things and I don't mind correcting myself. Uh, look, thank you so much uh, for being on uh, More to Come. And um, one of the things I want to talk to you about, you, you both worked on Mooncakes. It's a fantasy series. Started as a webcomic, am I right? Yeah. Uh, obviously incredibly popular. It's coming out from Lion Forge. Yes. yes. So um, tell us more about it. Um, okay. This is Wendy. This is Wendy. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Um, Mooncakes is a queer young adult romance about a witch and a werewolf um, who were childhood friends, us who separated like a little bit in or sorry, separated after middle school and reunited to um, fight an evil demon lurking in the woods, and that leads to some self-discovery and some romance. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and when you the artist? Yes, I'm yeah. the artist. All right. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm Suzanne. Uh, I was I wrote the script and the story. Mm-hmm. So. So, tell, I mean, tell us a little bit more about how it was developed. I know it started as a webcomic. Yes, uh, it started, it actually started, uh, I used to live in New York, and then in 2015 I moved to Chicago. Uh, mm-hmm. And right before I moved, we started developing this idea for a webcomic, and it was sort of a way for us to keep in touch both as creators and as friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that summer was a lot of uh, developing the characters, developing various uh, personality traits of both of them, um, and then we started developing the story and came out that uh, October was when we started uh, the webcomic. And how long did it run? When did the webcomic start? Um, so the webcomic started in October 2015, mm-hmm. and it kind of ran It ran until, like, early 2016 um, when we both took a break to do some other, like, personal projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Uh, my agent suggested pitching it as a graphic novel. So that's basically what we did. And then we had a deadline. So that was like a ton of incentive to finish the comedy. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they're for. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you really kind of developed a community around this, uh, this, this story as well. Um, yeah, I would say that 
a lot of um, LGBTQ folks, like a lot sure. of Asian American folks, mm. really gravitated towards this. This was like truly a collaborative effort mm. between me and Suze um, yeah. because because like Suze is really good at putting the script into words but I have the um I have like some ideas that I'll just like give to her because I'm too lazy to write them (laughs) (laughs) well there you go well you're both you know why you need each other so in fact how did you two become a creative team um we met and became friends uh seven years ago or so I think yeah it was like right after college yeah we met Mm -hmm. through a mutual friend of ours from school um and we became friends and we we used to like meet in cafes after work and work mm-hmm. on our individual creative stuff and we were both like because Wendy does a lot of comics and does a lot of art and mm-hmm. I I'm a writer and so we were like we should collaborate and like work on some scripts together mm-hmm. and um it just sort of went from there uh we had a lot of sort of um things that we had concept ideas for that never really came to fruition for uh we did mooncakes um mm-hmm. so there's been a lot of a lot we did a lot of stuff together before mooncakes yeah. really became our thing that we focused on well i mean the book brings together a re- i mean really a lot of great things that are happening in comics right now fantasy obviously has always got a huge market but really books aimed at the lgbtq community it's a great time right now there's really some ex- incredible stuff being done uh, I actually moderated a panel this morning that had uh, Melanie uh, Gilman on it. And she's got a new book out, State Stage they. Dreams. Sorry, Mel goes by they. Uh, they, I'm sorry, they, yes. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, I, I mangled a couple of times my pronouns uh, this morning, uh, but I got it right and kept going. But absolutely, um, they did a great job. It was, it's really a delightful book. So you're really uh, coming along at just the right time. There's a great demand for, for books in this category. Um, but uh, I know there's other things going coming on after Mooncakes, not to go over it. Uh, Wendy, you've got a new book deal coming up. Yeah, um, so I'm doing three books with Harper Collins, and they're slated for release in 2021, 2022, and 2023. Right. Um, the first book is a middle grade called Tide Song. It's kind of my love letter to Studio Ghibli and to Spirited Away and Kiki's Delivery right. Service. Um Taizong is about a young witch who moves to a seaside town um, to train in magic and family magic, like the special magic that her that her family has with her two aunts. And um, there's a dragon boy, and it's there's uh, there's a big storm, and it's really fun. Um, and then my second book is uh, 2022 is a YA sci-fi romance called The Infinity Particle um, about a, a young girl who's a robotics engineer and. She meets a boy who looks like her best friend, but he's been dead for three years. And um, there's there's a lot of first love. There's, you know, there's robot romance. Um, And then the third book is a TBD middle grade. All right. It sounds great. Thank you. And Suzanne, what are you going to be working on? Uh, I'm actually working on a prose novel right now. Uh, I'm going to a writer's workshop called Taos Toolbox in July to sort of get it up. get it into final draft stages and start pitching it towards agents. Um, it's uh, just a little more of an adult sci-fi fantasy about uh, two best friends from childhood who have been separated on the opposite sides of a war, and they are reunited ten years later, and they have a lot of 
unresolved issues, um, but it's also very, very queer, uh, very LGBT-focused. It's uh, a secondary world fantasy set in, um, that's based mm. off of sort of uh, golden age of Islam, 10th century uh-huh. Middle East. So um, I'm very excited to see where that goes. Uh, I finished the draft uh, a few months ago and just been sort of working on revising that. Great. So. Well, it, that really sounds great. And what have you been doing uh, here at Book Expo? Walking around. Walking the floor? Yeah, and we've been signing, uh, walking right. the floor. Awesome. We did a bunch of, um, did, like I had a chance encounter with a really fun group of young bloggers yesterday and awesome. did some sketches for them. That was super fun. Right. Yeah. Um, I just remembered that I saw on Twitter yesterday that there are some kittens at the National Geographic booth and I oh want God. to go check okay. those out before the show comes. Okay, yes. well, I guess this interview is almost over. Okay. <laughs> Oh, look, uh, look, it's an absolute delight to talk to both of you. Uh, congratulations on, on Mooncakes. Uh, everybody I know is talking about it. Uh, the new deals, your new book. And thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank you thank for you. having us. Yes, yeah. thank you for having us. The pleasure. Yeah. Well, there you go. Great interviews as always, Kelvin. <laughs> well, hopefully they're great. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, y- you can always count on there being more to come.